This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. It almost feels a bit too good to be true at the moment, doesn't it? Another two wins, another two clean sheets, and City leading the Premier League table, three points clear of second place and with a game in hand. How times change from even just a couple of months ago. But the elephant in the room has arrived. It's time for Liverpool away. It's a fixture that City haven't won in 17 and a half years. Liverpool, meanwhile, have lost twice in a row at home, so maybe this is the year that the Anfield curse can be broken. Surely City have never had a better chance. Also on this week's show, we'll be looking ahead to what could be a tricky FA Cup tie at Swansea. It certainly was the last time City went there in that competition. And we'll take a look at the quality coming through the ranks of the EDS with Sean Blinkhorn. I'm David Booney. I'm joined this week by StatCity.co.uk maestro Adam Carter. Hello. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, mate. You're right. I'm not too bad, thanks. Uh, you both well, Jack? How you doing? All right, yeah. Just just finished a mental smoothie slash juice, so Ooh, I will was be it? levitating soon. Uh, it was... Banana, kale, celery, and prune. Sounds absolutely disgusting, mate. Yeah, a little bit floating about. <laughs> um, Adam, are you well? I mean, I'm not sure after hearing that, but um, it's turned my stomach slightly. But I am all right. Uh, this winning run's keeping me going. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the winning run, that's uh, it's it's been another routine week, really. All told, hasn't it, Adam? Yeah, I think with two difficult games, you're not going to expect to. We never do score loads of goals against Sheffield United so you're happy just to tick those games off as they come it's being very and I don't want to count my chickens before they've hatched but it's becoming very reminiscent of that title running last time when we saw uh, Liverpool off just every game we just did the job carried on next one the players are well drilled now in their post-match interviews they're all saying the same thing we don't think about the game after the, the next one it's just all focused on the next one and I think they're really in tune now and it's we're, we're, we're cooking with gas. Yeah, Jack, it's it's not an unassailable position, but it's getting close to being one, isn't it, do you think? Yeah, well, it's just been relentless, hasn't it? Um, Adam said, you just take... I didn't really understand the, the notion of taking one game at a time until you watch... <laughs> until, you, un, until you watch them in the kind of Centurion season, you go, actually, you can see what, you can see what they mean. And at the moment... That's exactly what it is, um, and yeah, he probably he's probably kept a couple of people back um, in midweek with Liverpool in mind, but it is very much kind of next one, next one, next one. Um, and I mean the way the way they're playing. I mean Sheffield United was second gear, Burnley was second gear, wasn't it? Um, and it's getting into that situation where you just ticking. Matches are just getting ticked off without anyone really noticing, and yeah. they're leaving with three points. And it's like, all right, see you later. Yeah, uh, the, the thing I think the key thing against Burnley is uh, well, both both games, Adam, uh, was the fact that City opened the scoring pretty quickly in the game. Uh, both of those goals were Gabriel Jesus. It's three goals in three starts for him now. Um, is he getting back to form? <laughs> it almost seems every time I'm on the podcast that's that's the question. He. <laughs> Goes for it. He comes back every time. He's the most reinvented player I've ever known. If there's, um, if there's a player that's, that, that is good for a resurrection, no, yeah, exactly. oh, him, doesn't no, it? No, come on. I, I am the resurrection. There we go. Sorry, uh, Jack. Was that too easy? Yeah, I, I can see that coming from a mile off. That. <laughs> no, but it, it, how how soon how soon is it until Easter? Anyway, um, no, I think every uh, there's a uh, there was a question posed around this time last season. He'd had a good. Run, run of form and we were asking is he the heir to Aguero is he the P- 
the person we can hang our hopes on and lead that front line. And I'm going to cop out and say my answer probably changes based on where we are in the, in the, in the, seat, in the table at the time of asking that question, how important his goals are. He reached 75 goals for us uh, last night, which overtook Carlos Tevez. And you think of the importance of Carlos Tevez's goals and we were happy to hang our hat on, te- on a player like Tevez who reaches those kinds of numbers. But how many games did Tevez do it? And it must have been fewer, lot, surely. It is yeah. fewer. And then, yeah, so then you start looking at the percentages and realise, actually, he's not up there with those Tevez's and Aguero in, in, in terms of games played and uh, goals per game. But I think he's always going to have struggled from having the Aguero tag, the Aguero replacement tag. I don't think he's that player. There's talk of him being touted as being a left winger and coming in from the left, and it just looked utterly bizarre when he he, he was he held that position for a, a couple of games ago. So for me, he's he's certainly back, and he's certainly got a, a nose for goal, and knows that you, you think of the three goals he scored recently, Cheltenham, Sheffield United, and Burnley, they were all proper poacher goals. Um, but they all put City me, in front as well. And they all put City in front. So there we go, we're talking about that importance then, aren't we? He does score important goals, and he has done in recent games. I think he's just going to always be a sufferer of that stigma of the uh, Aguero replacement and not quite being Aguero. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing though, isn't it, Jack? That I, If his best position in City's team, he's a centre-forward, but if his best position in City's team is not at centre-forward because they're going to, or he'll be the second-choice centre-forward, is that going to be enough for him? Is that going to be what he wants? Uh, well, this is a bit awkward because I was the one that was touting him as a left winger the other week. Um, <laughs> um, but if that's I, his best position, I thought. Well, I think it is his best position. You like, look at the. I mean, the Real Madrid game last year, he was sensational playing on the left hand side of midfield. He was City's best player, um, and that was in that you know that was a night where De Bruyne looked like he carried him, but I thought Jesus was just unbelievably good, particularly defensively. Um, and he does offer them a lot from from wide. And I think he carries... It's strange, isn't it? I think he carries enough goal threat to be a very potent left winger in that team, but probably doesn't carry enough goal threat to to play through the middle. Yeah. Um, and will it be will it be enough for him? Yeah, I think, it, I think playing in one of the best teams in the world and getting in that team is probably going to be enough for anyone. It doesn't really matter where you play. Yeah, I mean, the, the one talking point that uh, wasn't around his goals, Adam, how did he not get a penalty? Oh, I think, I, I honestly think it was because we were two, we were 2 nil up at that point. Um, how does it not even get look, re- reviewed? Well, it did get reviewed. It, it, they, oh. found, they found there was no clear and obvious error. Oh, that, that's ridiculous. I heard Match of the Day commentator saying uh, committed defending. Yet you've got players getting sent off the day before for brushing knees, studs against knees, and it's just like... Are we playing the same game to the same set of rules? That was really baffling. I genuinely believe if that's nil-nil, or it's certainly at the Etihad, that that gets looked at by the referee uh, as an on-field and there's there's a suggestion that they should look at it. I think the, to, for it to just be waved away almost, he, he, took, he took his standing leg. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, It didn't affect the outcome, though, so uh, ultimately it's uh, no no uh, no terrible thing. Uh, yeah. Let's talk Ilkay Gundogan, Jack, because uh, at the moment, his form... Has to be the first name on, on Guardiola's team sheet, hasn't he? He's building that team around Gundogan. Yeah, I think it, it needed it needed someone to step up in the absence of De Bruyne, um, and that's and that's what he's done. I mean, Pep's always loved him. He was the first the first guy that he brought in 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 two thousand and sixteen, 
clearly he told the club months in advance of him arriving that Gundogan was the one that he wanted. He plays, he sees the game in the, in the same way as Pep does. Um, and he was, people forget how he was hampered by that knee injury and it took him a long, long time to, to regain any sort of match fitness. And then he probably played his best games as a, as a holding midfielder. Um, and you forget that he can he, he can produce these sort of numbers when he gets into the final third. I remember, I think I've said it on this podcast before, but I, I remember being in America on a pre-season tour a few years ago and we like watched watched a little bit of training for, well, about 45 minutes worth of training. And they do these, they do these drills where the uh, wingers and the full-backs bomb down the line, cross a, cross a ball in, and the attacking midfielders are attacking those crosses just for kind of uh, repetition uh, of practice. About it's just about when to arrive in the box, sort of. Thing. Yeah, and while they're doing that, the kind of the def- more defensively minded players are doing something else at the other end of the pitch. And Gundogan was one of those that was breaking into the box, um, which I thought was quite interesting because you would probably see him as a as a maybe more defensively minded and a bit more of a link player. But obviously at that time, which would have been three or four years ago, Pep wanted him breaking into the box, which we didn't really... We, we'd not seen that much. We'd not seen him do that it, that much o- over his time at City. But I think just thinking back to that, it, it, the last few weeks haven't been a massive surprise. Um, and I think the, the, the Bruyne not being about has just given him that extra sense of responsibility because you've kind of you f- forget that when a team has got a player like De Bruyne in it who is arguably well certainly the best midfielder in the world arguably the best player in the world at the moment if you've got someone like that I think his teammates doesn't matter what team you are your teammates are going to turn around and say well if things are not going particularly well oh Kevin will do it but when Kevin's not there, someone else has got to do it, and Gundogan has done it. Yeah. Um, when you look at, uh, at, at his performances, Adam, um, is it simply that he's playing further forward that's that, that that's making us notice him more? <laughs> yes, Jack makes a good point there. I thought Gundogan was benefiting from the absence of David Silva as well in the team, but it's actually more coincided with uh, De Bruyne's injury where he's come to the fore. Uh, you you know my much published, publicised um, thoughts on the dreaded double pivot that I've, I've coined <laughs> it. Uh, and since though, I think both uh, Rodri and Gundogan have both benefited from being separated from each other. And I think Gundogan's, although he can do that job, as, as Jack alludes to, in that defensive midfield road, it's because he's up uh, further forward that we're now seeing these. He's impacting a uh, game more in a more positive way, not to say that he didn't do it when he was putting out the fires in a defensive role. But now we're seeing him further forward. He's hitting the headlines more. He's chipping in with assists and goals. And they're the, the first things that you notice on, on, a, on, the, on the headlines, isn't it? He is getting into those. He's Because he, he's, still, he's, he's still doing the same thing as he did further back, uh, a little bit deeper in those like little half spaces and linking the game. But you're right, Adam. Because he's, he's doing it 10, 15 yards further forward. And it's... It, it, it's not the third pass in a move, it's the seventh pass in a move, which, and, uh, I mean, that's just highlights bias, isn't it, really? <laughs> that, that you're going you're gonna to see that in, in a clip of a goal, so therefore more people notice. But actually, yeah. he was kind of doing very similar stuff before anyway. Yeah. And he's, he, he was so, I mean, I don't want to labour the point, but he, 
it's so helpful to Rodri. I know the, the the double pivot, no one liked it, and I, I, I didn't like it either, but Gundogan helps Rodri through those games and with a lot of unseen work. And yeah, they don't for the for the team they don't work together because they're not as fluid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, Rodri owes Gundogan uh, a, a sizable debt when he was struggling to to pick up, I guess, the pace of the league games. Well, let's let's just touch on Rodri because I'm interested that quietly over the last few weeks he's suddenly looking like the player City need. Is he, Jack? Yeah, I think it's it's time, isn't it? Like. Players, players need time, and he, he stru- I think he, I think he really struggled last year. Um, things were happening too quickly, and he's not the most mobile um, central midfielder. And the expectation is that someone that plays in that position for a Pep Guardiola team probably needs to be pretty mobile, um, which is why Fernandinho, or one of the reasons why Fernandinho has been been so good for them. Um, but then, I know that. Guardiola couldn't look, couldn't look beyond the fact that Rodri is the best blind passer of a ball with his back to goal that they that they've got, and he was so crucial when they were building up from the back, and he was just perhaps always been insistent that that Rodri would would come good with the other aspects of his game, but while he was while he was producing in their own third. From goal kicks or whatever, then he was he was a valuable asset to them, and it, it's it's good that he's he's starting to impose himself on matches more often, yeah. um, and it's good that you're not noticing him as, as much because if you're not noticing him, it means he's playing well. Yeah, um, that's that's the thing, isn't it, uh, Adam? And as well, you look at, at the defense, um, especially against Burnley, for instance. Laporte came in make to make it this kind of system with a back three when they've uh, when they've got possession, and then it becomes a bit more of a back four when he, when they've not got it. Um, it it's, how much of this is to, is do you think a, a suitable system for City to kind of allow Cancelo to drift around the pitch a bit more when they've got the ball, and how much of it is to keep Laporte happy while Stones and Diaz are playing so well? <laughs> There were some worrying quotes uh, last night from Laporte before the game. He knew he was going to be starting. He said he's happy whilst he's here, but he'll see what the future holds. And that kind of screams volumes to the pessimist in me. That And how do you keep those three now currently world-class um, centre-backs happy. Um, I'm loving what freedom it allows Cancelo to do in his in his free role. I think he's been an absolute breath of fresh air. I don't think he actually has a, a good position, a, a good one position. He's just great at all of them. And I'm firmly turning my account, Twitter account into a Jao Cancelo fan page now. Uh, so I'm fully on board with that. Um, the Like I say, the quotes from Laporte, a bit concerning. And I, I do always wonder how you keep those... Uh, that many players happy. Hopefully, we're going to have a lot of games, and it's just a case of uh, we we can rotate. And we don't need to try and crowbar them in. I do like the style that he's using now, and I think that's what he's going to go for in the more the tougher Champions League games. And I think because the amount of limited changes Pep's been making during games, I think he is toying with these these lineups for for the later rounds of the Champions League if if we get there. So he's certainly building a foundation now. It's allowed to release the shackles off Gundogan and Rodri. Um, And it's kind of like benefiting more players than just the back line now as well. Yeah, I, the thing is though, uh, Jack, I, I, is this a solution to the left back issue? Because Mendy is obviously Mendy, and he's you never know when he's going to be fit. Uh, Zinchenko, as as good as he has been at times, is not a left back. Cancelo actually looks better when he's being asked to drift into the Zin- middle. So Zinchen- kind of, Zinchenko is the left back now, isn't he? But uh, that's what I mean, though. He's like he is a left back in 
that he plays left back and you have to judge him as a left back, but like ultimately he's still an attacking midfielder playing at left back. If he if he were to move to another I, Premier League club, would they buy him as a left back? Um, I don't know. I, I see him as a as a left back now. Um, I think I think Zinchenko when Zinchenko plays, he makes just the way he plays makes City a better team going forward. Um, I think it's been noticeable that when he's been back in over the last uh, the last month or so, they've they've kind of had a little bit more control. Um, and have just played better, um, but then defensively, he's got a mistake in him. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, Zinchenko's funny because it seems like every time the club are ready to get rid of him, he has a burst. And of he's form. like, he just like comes in and plays really well. I think it's, it must be at least it's at least twice it's happened, maybe three times. Where I mean, there was one a couple of years ago where they're telling him to go, and he's like, "No, I don't want to go anywhere, thanks." It's like, yeah, no, we we want you to go. Please go. Like wolves are coming for you. It's like, no, no, I'm I'm up here. And then he ended up playing left back for the majority of the season. They were like, all oh, right, he's he's done all right, hasn't he? <laughs> um, I don't, yeah. I'd, will they play Laporta left back? Probably. Um, particularly as you say in the, in the Champions League games, I'm not a massive fan of him there. Um, I've got to be honest, but. He's gonna. There is gonna come a point, and maybe we're at that point already. Given his quotes last night, that he's they've got to find a way of getting him in, because yeah. he's not a personality that you want to uh, cheese off. Yeah. Because you know he's he, he does he's someone that does make it known when he's not very happy. Um, I, I I mean I thought when when they signed Ake in the summer, I thought they'd go to a like a proper back three more more often. Uh, which we've not seen yet, really. I know they are when they have the ball and all that stuff, but when they actually set up at the start of a game, I thought we'd see about three more often, and that's not happened yet. Yeah. Um, a quick word on Edison, Adam, because uh, at the minute, more clean sheets than he's conceded Premier League goals this season. That doesn't happen that often, and when it does, it's early in the season. Yeah, he's. I think he's been protected by his centre-backs more than him being uh, outstanding. He's obviously alert and that's the the sign of a great keeper when you've only got one thing to do and that's to dive down to your left and keep it out um, or, or run think, 30 yards out your goal and well, uh, hoof one of the opposition into the air we're now seeing a return to board Edison aren't we <laughs> so um, I think he deserves all the plaudits I think it's a, a without avoiding the cliche of without avoiding cliche of it being a team effort and it's the the four defenders that are helping him uh, achieve those clean sheets but something we've never really um you know, had in common with the city a record of this clean sheets. I'm I don't have to uh, I have to dr- drill far far back in my stats to see when it when it last occurred. I think we're now on a run where that's only happened three times in the Premier League era in terms of clean sheets. Um, so yeah, certainly it's something we're not not that used to. Yeah, it's uh, it seems mad that the majority of City's goals this season, Jack, were conceded in the first two games. Like how like. It's just mental. Look. I know, I know, it's amazing. I did. It, it always makes me laugh when people um, criticise City's defending. Um, I mean, it, they'll probably end up. Will it be three Golden Gloves in four years? Yeah, if they win. Well, it he's year. like he's got Wish thirteen clean sheets this year. He's only three off the totally won the Golden Gloves with last season. The problem, but well, people seem to think that the problems um, were just City couldn't defend. That was the kind of. The criticism people laid at them, where it's just not—it's just not true, is it? It's, they've shown over the last four years that they're, they're probably the the best defense in in the league. Um, 
it's just the, the problems have been individual mistakes in, in big matches. That's been the issue, uh, rather than the way they're set up. Um, and I mean, like, there's there's more of a they've got more of a steel to them this year. Um, and I think the introduction of Diaz, he's just he just loves defending. I mean, interview I interviewed him the other week, which was um, which was great. I just really enjoyed talking to him. He's just like he's obviously got. He's obviously got. He obviously is a character, but he didn't really want to show his character because he just wants <laughs> to be seen as this like massive Intense. burly centre half yeah. who's like all I'm bothered about is terminating the existence of strikers. <laughs> <laughs> and we had this like we had this like weird back and forth for like half an hour. I was like kind of t- trying to prize out some character of him, and he was like giving me a little bit, but not as, not too much. I was like, well, come on. You're obviously quite a funny bloke, but he just didn't want to just didn't want to get involved at all. It was quite funny. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero, or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. Right, well, it's been a while since we focused on the EDS, so this week we're going to check in with our expert, Sean Blinkhorn. For work, he spends plenty of time watching the younger City squads. I've been speaking to him this week about Liam Delap, defender Luke Mbete, and the future of Taylor Harwood-Bellis. But we began by discussing the role of Phil Foden, now that he's a first-team regular. Some of the frustration around that I've had around the talk of, of uh, Foden replacing David Silver, and this includes from, from Guardiola himself, is that to me as he was coming through the age groups, he've always looked like completely different players. He's he's a much more direct, forceful, goal-scoring, if you if you like, type of player. A bit more like De Bruyne than, than a David Silva in a City team. You could say Guardiola was saying this last year and then has, has proceeded to not play him in that sort of position once. So maybe he didn't even believe it himself. <laughs> Someone I would like to offer up in into that sort of position is... Uh, James McAtee, he, when I watch him at the minute and, and certainly over the last year or so, he's a much more David Silva style of player, even down to the way that he's he's rather one-footed and he's a little on the slower side. He's not a slow player, but in the same way David Silva was, you know, first yards in his head and all that. But in the same ways, you know, the kind of agile possession, possession retention style of game where he'll get the ball and recycle it positively and he'll be spinning on the ball and turning very very similar to what David Silva used to do you're more likely to find him in the pocket moving sideways drifting about and then playing a killer through ball through the line to someone like Liam Delap whereas you'd expect Foden would be that player on the end of it uh, a lot of the time it's it's that that similar sort of way that David Silva used to get that Pass before the assist, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, what, we, uh, what we, I think Paul Atherton deemed it the pre-assist, and I'm not entirely sure if, like, if that's yeah. an actual term or not. Yeah, I call it the uh, the Tony Hand or the, the the Wayne Gretzky assist because <laughs> in ice hockey there's there's two assists to every goal type thing. But yeah, it's that sort of thing. He's a much more 
that sort of style of player, if we're, if we're going to think, you know, it's, it's took Guardiola a little while, seemingly, to get the team to a, a into a position where Gunningham can do the types of things that Silva, maybe a completely different way. But if you were just going to replace David Silva like for like, I think James McAtee has those talents. Um, and at the moment, he's, he's edging closer and closer. He's, he's really highly thought of. He's He has been name-dropped along with the likes of some of the the more regular youngsters you may have seen so far. So it may well be that we, we could start to see him more in the future. He's a very good player. Yeah. Uh, who else is uh, is kind of coming through at the moment? I would also like to point out Luke and Beatty. He's, a, he's another one who's been been spoken of recently. One of the benefits of, of watching the, uh, the reserve teams in recent times is I've been able to see the sort of tactics that Pep Guardiola uses for the the similar team, but completely out of context. So taking those players out, but using a similar sort of way of playing. So if you can imagine, just before the the West Brom 5-0 game recently, there was a, a reserve game that week where, similar to how that game ended, we had no striker on the pitch and three centre-backs. So in much the same way that one of the full-backs might tuck in and form that double, double pivot, in the transition phase the reserves were doing the same thing the day before and it was quite interesting to see you know out of context of the first team so watching Luke and Beatty this was Luke didn't play in this game but in previous games watching him do the exact sort of thing that Laporte would do normally either on that wide left or as a uh, more let's call him an attacking centre-back was fascinating to watch he really has got a pass on him uh, and an eye for a pass. There's some of the players you think of Taylor Howard Bellis can play a bit, can't they? They, are, they do have a bit of, of football about them. But Luke seems to be one who can really play a pass and he can pick a pass through, you know, two, three lines and straight to the striker if he wanted to. He's a, quite an exciting attacking talent as, as much as he is a, a, a very good centre-back. There was an old social media account of his a few years ago where he's, he spoke of uh, his, his idolation of Vincent Company. And you can imagine that being the age he was growing up in Brentford. He um, he must have seen that the best player in his position in the country at that time was Vincent Kompany. He, he seems to have adopted some of Kompany's mannerisms and like the way the way he plays the game. He must have studied him because it, there is quite some similarities in the way that they play the game. They are different players, completely different players, to be honest. And um, he's, he's not quite got like the. Uh, you know, the size and the strength of, of company yet, but there's plenty of time for that. I think he's still 17. But he wouldn't be playing in for the EDS in his scholarship year if he couldn't defend as well. So he can do that. But it, the senior team call-up kind of solidifies his progress so far. I think he's been very exciting to watch, like I say. But also, a special mention to uh, young Callum Doyle, another left-footed, left-sided centre-back, just like Luke. They've both been uh, promoted straight up, more or less, to the EDS from the under-18s because even in the scholarship year, they're, they're both very, very good players. So after all that talk of um, in you know in recent years of, of Guardiola needing a left-footed player to, to complement his right-footed player as the centre-back pairing, there's now two very talented young players in the reserves chomping at the bit to get into the team. Just a, a quick mention on uh, Taylor Harwood-Bellis as well, Sean, because obviously he's gone out on loan. Um, 
it's we always say at City that if players go out on loan, that, that that that's kind of a worrying sign for their future at the club. But again, with Harwood Bellis, you look at the players that are in front of him and the fact that he's got, well, you know, Stone's playing so well with Diaz at the moment. You've got Ake still to come back and you've got Laporte still coming in there. It kind of feels like this one makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I've listened to a couple of the commenters since that loan was announced that... Um, that they believe that one, basically the loan system is is the end of your city career. And to be honest, I've always thought that myself. Uh, I, I do believe that. The players that we've sent out on loan, the the number of them that have then come back and, and made their way into the city first team, it, the, that number is so low. But that said, these players, especially the likes of Taylor, you, they don't have only have to look ahead at them at Stones, Garcia, unfortunately. Uh, Laporte, Ake, they also have to look behind them at the emerging talents of Callum Doyle, of Luke and Bay. He needs to find a way to play football and this has come up at a, at a perfect time. I think Tony Mowbray at, uh, at Blackburn is quite highly regarded uh, with when it comes to young players as well, so this might end up being perfect for him. It, it's, not, it's not an absolute death knell to be sent out on loan. It shouldn't be. And it isn't for a lot of players at other clubs. So uh, just have to wish the best for him. Yeah. Uh, final word for, for this week, Sean. Uh, just want to touch on Liam Delap because um, City have obviously, they've not particularly struggled for goals in recent weeks. It was They were struggling a bit earlier in the season, but uh, things seem to have evened themselves out. They have been struggling for a recognised striker, though, for a while with, with uh, you know COVID and injuries affecting both Aguero and Jesus. And a lot of fans have been asking, where's where's Liam Delap? Why has he not been getting a call? Is there any particular reason? I was quite gutted when he wasn't announced in the team for Cheltenham, to be honest. I know I know Jesus needs goals and needs to really pick himself up off the floor at the minute, but I was I was mortified. <laughs> Watching Liam at the minute, he scored a he scored a header as part of a hat trick. Yeah. A Gordy, I'm going to go back to the hockey references, but there's something called a, a Gordy Howe hat trick in the hockey, where it's basically a goal assist, a goal and an assist and a fight. And Liam managed <laughs> to kick out and get himself sent off against, against his old club derby the other day. Uh, but one of those goals was a headed goal. And I picked that out a, a while back as one of the areas that he needed to improve. So if he can start to improve that, honestly, I, I just don't, I can't see what that what that young lad does not bring you know i don't see what he doesn't have he's he's an excellent mostly complete player already maybe it was down to that kick out and red card that the you know maybe the senior staff had thought right let's let's put him down a peg here that was you know that was uncalled for he'd already scored a hat trick there was no need for it does he really need to be in the first team picture at this time maybe there was an element of that i, I i'm not sure I do think he had a lot more to offer around the time that we didn't have any striker and we weren't scoring any goals. But he is still very young. I've been going on about Liam for a while now. I'm going to continue to bang the drum for him. He's just he's just seriously fun to watch. And apart from anything, I think a player like that, we could do with a bit more of that right now. This 
is the Blue Moon Podcast. That was Sean Blinkhorn looking at City's EDS. Uh, time to look ahead to uh, the first of City's two games now. Uh, it's uh, Liverpool away, which, Adam, me and you, uh, we love a good statistic. So uh, I- I've-, I've been doing a bit of research for this game. Um, since City's last win at Anfield, okay, six new managers, two new chairmen, two takeovers, uh, 125 new players signed, 113 transfers and 12 loans, £1.65 billion spent which sounds like a lot, but it's only an average of 14.6 million per transfer. Um, 137 players have left uh, with a 511 million uh, kind of recouped in that. In terms of culture, there's been six more Star Wars films released in cinemas since City's last uh, win at Anfield. There were only five when City won there last time. Uh, Last time they won there, your mobile phone might have sounded like this. That's quite enough of that, I think, really. This was the number one of the week running up to that game. Room five and Oliver cheating with mate love. Uh, listening to that is uh, Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Rap. Neil, you must be confident about this game now. Uh, I'm, I mean, firstly, I, I want to just go out and listen to that, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. Uh, and I don't want to sound like an old man. I mean, I go out and listen to almost anything at the minute, but uh, that'd be absolutely tremendous. What a night out you've offered me here. Um, <laughs> confident coming into the game, no. Um, and would have been the case regardless of the, the results against Brighton. Uh, but the result against Brighton makes it all a little bit uh, uh, makes it a little bit worse. Not least because, you know, I was doing some numbers uh, this morning um, after the Brighton game, and there are two teams. There are, there's only been uh, four games this season where Liverpool have, have 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 ended up on the poorer side of the expected goals. The Villa games won, obviously seven two. Uh, Brighton and Manchester City, and Brighton are three of the others. Um, Brighton and Man City, I think, actually play quite similarly, except for Manchester City are far better and have got far better footballers. So I think that it will be a really difficult game for Liverpool because what City have done brilliantly this season when I've caught them and they've been ramping it up game after game is they're very good at looking after the ball for long periods and just getting the game played completely on their terms. It's something Brighton did last night against us and I'm expecting City to do that at Anfield. All of that said, I think it will be a really, really tight affair. Um, I think it would have been a tight affair no matter what and I'm expecting it to be a really low-scoring, quite intense in periods clash but also with a lot of both sides after being quite intense, then resting on the ball. Yeah. Uh, Adam, when you look at uh, at City's record, uh, just going through it, it doesn't bode well that the last time Liverpool lost three at home in a row in the league uh, was nearly 58 years ago, the 14th of September, 1963. Uh, and it's uh, one for you, Jack. Blackpool were one of those teams. Yeah, I was going to say, I was hoping you were going to mention that. <laughs> uh, so, Adam, how are you feeling going? Because, I mean, this surely is the best time to break the Anfield curse, isn't it? Liverpool not in great form, City playing really well. This has got to be, it has to be. I've never looked forward to an Anfield game. I, I, in my lifetime, we've, we've won once there. Um, I, I was just looking back at the fixtures this morning that we've had at Anfield. They seem to just... Every game seems to be a three. They're about three nil up after twenty minutes. One's gone into the top corner. We can do nothing about it. We're like rabbit in headlights at Anfield. I think the crowd has a lot to do with that. And I think if we're gonna, if there's a time to break that spell, it's this season when that famous crowd aren't there anymore. And 
you know, it'd be typical City for us to have all these clean sheets, not conceding goals since 1972, and then all of a sudden we go to Anfield and that just drops and we concede four in the first ten minutes. I'm an <laughs> eternal pessimist, as always. Neil, is, has the lack of crowd been, a, been a, a big factor? I think it's been a factor in a number of ways. I don't think it's just as straightforward as, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say if there's a crowd in Liverpool beat Burnley or if there's a crowd in Liverpool beat Brighton. I think that... I think it's one of the things, both home and away, that sort of what we've struggled with this season is sides committing to a certain shape, getting encouragement because Liverpool aren't playing that well and absolutely still sticking with that shape. So a really good example is the Newcastle away game. We play Newcastle on the 30th of December and it's a Wednesday night. It is Christmas between the gap between Christmas and New Year and under a normal circumstance there are 50,000 drunken maniacs in St James's Park and when it's nil-nil with 20 to go, no matter how good your shape work's been for the previous 70 minutes, you, the, the crowd are saying, go and score one, go and score one. And Newcastle just stick with the shape because there's no crowd in. And, I think, and I'm not saying that, by the way, even that game, if they'd have done that, we'd have gone up the other end and scored. That'd give us a three and four chance and them a one and four chance. My point is, a lot of games becoming emotional and getting carried away from footballers isn't happening. And because we're not quite at it as we were last season, and because you know we feed off that, I think both positively and negatively in a really good way, we've lacked that. But I think there's one other thing as well, and and I'm I'm putting it to your listeners, and I don't want bants to be honest with you. I think there's a general issue and there's a general sadness that both from the footballers' point of view and also from the players' point of view, that sorry the footballers' point of view and the crowd's point of view that we didn't win a league for thirty years. This Liverpool side created the avoidance of doubt like nothing on earth. They won 26 of the first 27 last year. And at no point have they been acclaimed by humans as champions. They haven't got out in front of a crowd, home or away, as champions, apart from 2,000 on a couple of occasions. They haven't had 50,000 in the ground and they haven't had a million on the streets. And those 50,000, like I used to have a, a really good series of jokes about never never having had a pint with Liverpool as champions, never having had sex as Liverpool with Liverpool as champions. And there's a thing now where I haven't gone out into a boozer past 11 o'clock with Liverpool as champions. It hasn't happened all the way through. There hasn't been that, that, there hasn't been that moment, David, and I think everybody needed that moment. It's hard enough to defend this league, but to defend it without that emotional release is massive. I don't, I don't want to kind of rub salt into the wounds because, I mean, th- this title isn't over yet and City have by no means won the title. They are in a very strong position. But there's a real opportunity here for City to put some distance between themselves and one of their big title rivals. Yeah, I think if they, if they can go there and, and win the game, they put themselves into uh, a position that you wouldn't expect them to um, surrender from, really. Um, particularly kind of not even just from a Liverpool perspective, but United have got... Everton at the weekend at home and Everton are great away from home. Um, I saw them at Leeds uh, last night and I thought they were great. And teams are going to continue to drop points and if City can somehow win the game on Sunday, it's, to me, there does only seem to be one winner. But then, like the, as you said before, the, re- the record there is just so bad um, that you wouldn't be surprised if they, if they go and, and get turned over just as an oddity. What's the shape of, of Liverpool's team looking like at the moment, Neil? Because obviously the, the, the news has been around Van Dijk's injury, but you, like, you haven't had any defenders for as far as I can tell for a while. No, um, I think that obviously there's no Van Dijk and there's no Gomez. Losing Van Dijk was a massive blow. Then losing Gomez, having lost Van Dijk, 
was as big a blow as losing Van Dijk, if you know what I mean. Like, if we'd have just lost Gomez, then you'd have gone, okay, we'll find a way to make this work with Van Dijk. Losing the pair of them has been huge. Matip's not been fit all season. He's got on the pitch a few times, but they've given up the ghost with him. And the, 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 the manager put a statement out this week making clear he's been playing through the pain barrier and now making clear he's out for the rest of the season as well. So it might be that Kabak start at the heart of the defence. Liverpool have got a really big question off the back of the result last night. Fabinho and Mane don't play last night, and there's, they're not right, but there was talk that they'd get them back for the City game. I think that that might change now. I think if Liverpool have got to acknowledge that they're not going to be able, it's going to be really difficult to catch Manchester City, then there's two priorities. One is securing Champions League football, and the other one is the Champions League. So we've got a week break after the City game, then we've got Leicester, then we've got Leipzig, and then we've got Everton. And if Liverpool feel as though picking Fabinho and Mane might jeopardise their fitness for those three games, Leicester, Leipzig and Everton, then I think that they might now... I think if they'd have beaten Brighton, they would have done everything in their power to get Fabinho and Mane on the pitch for the game against City. But I wonder now if Liverpool might actually think, you know what, to gamble that when there's still all these other things that we need to secure, I think that they might err on the side of caution. So I think there's a chance that last night's result means that City will have an even further weakened Liverpool. We had seven first-team players out for the game, like genuine first-team likely starters. Admittedly, three of them are centre-halves, so you'd only pick two of them out for the game against Brighton. Uh, the goalkeeper, the three centre-halves, uh, Mane, Fabinho, um, and then on top of that as well, there was there's, there's, there's no Naby Keita. And a couple of the other players who were even getting on the pitch, like Chamberlain, don't look anywhere near fit enough. So... I think it'll be a weakened Liverpool side, I really do. I think it'll be, you know, I think it'll be Kabak, the new centre-half will play, probably next to Henderson. It'll be Wijnaldum, Thiago, plus one in the middle of the park, the two full-backs, and Salah, Firmino. And if he fancies Mane, sound. If not, it'll be one of Origi or Shaqiri. Yeah, uh, no no likelihood of Jota being back. Is he Is he not quite ready? No, he's still... Th- I mean, I'd forgotten him before when I said first-team players. Jesus, so it's eight first-team players out. Um, so we're looking at... Uh, Jota's still, again, looking another couple of weeks away uh, from a Liverpool point of view. And I think that there's a general philosophy at Liverpool at the minute, which is that they're trying not... On the whole, and I think the City game would have been an exception, they're not rushing people back because the one thing they don't want is to have this crisis continue to spiral. Yeah. Um, Adam, for you, uh, must win or must not lose now? Um, I am comparing this game to the one at the Etihad where we were seven points behind Liverpool going into it and if we would have lost it would have been a ten point gap so I'm not of this mentality that it's all done and dusted if, if Liverpool take a win they'll be right back in it so I'm thinking because we won at Burnley um, that allows us the that affords us uh, the ability to not have to go and win at Anfield, so I'm in the do not lose camp. Yeah. I know the winning records there, but you, there's no chance you can't go to Anfield and expect you're going to maintain a winning run uh, when the when the penultimate games is that uh, or the final game is the Anfield game. I, I I couldn't agree more. Really, I think if City don't, I, I genuinely think if City don't lose at Anfield, then the gap's now so great. Plus the game in hand, plus in general how well City are doing against the bottom ten. If you look at Liverpool's record this season, you know against the the current bottom six, I think Brighton had a better side than that. But against the current bottom six, the only one we've managed to actually beat that we played so far this season is Sheffield United, and that was tight. I think that you know that needs a real turnaround for Liverpool. But we've been good in games against the current top six, top ten, to be honest. And I think a draw is absolutely fine for City. I think City will win the league, and I think they'll win it at a canter at this point. But I think a draw at Anfield's absolutely fine. Um, and then you just sort of walk away, dust yourselves down, and then just get back on another run, to be honest with you. And that's what I'm expecting to see happen 
uh, after last night's result. Although I've obviously gone for something a little bit different in my bet. Neil, with a win, do you, ex- do you accept you back right back in it if, no. if Liverpool win? Is no, that because, still not enough for you? No, it's still not. I think I think we ultimately we needed to build another home record from that Brighton game and go from there. I think it's. I think you know. Listen, don't get me wrong. If we're within touching distance with six or seven games to go, we've got a really nice running. We've had a horrible run of fixtures and it continues for another couple of weeks. But we've got an absolutely lovely running, to be quite honest with you. But then I say that, and I've just said that we've only beaten one of the current bottom six. I think. I think if listen, I think if we can hang on in there, if we're within six points, say with six games to go in a season where uh, you know the points total might not be quite as high, then you never know. But ultimately, I think it needs even then a collapse, and I just don't see, think the city side's got in it. I also think that sides are getting are approaching back to the point where they don't feel as though they're likely to have a shot against City. So I, I feel as though it's it's really tr- tricky from this position. I think if we could have beaten Brighton, we'd have three more points, maybe four behind. We win at the weekend. We're one behind. City have got a game in hand. I just don't I don't think we'll match your results from now until the end of the season with the injury crisis, let alone surpass them enough, regardless of what happens on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Jack, just just listening to that, do you feel that... Um, I always think back to that nil-nil draw in, in 2018 where Guardiola went there and it kind of intentionally played within himself. Do you sense another one of those coming? Um, if I was a City fan, I would hope not because it's a little bit, to to some degree, it's a little bit of a free hit because even if they get beat, they're still four clear with the game in hand of Liverpool. Um, so I guess you would hope that he'd have a go and, and try and win the game. Uh, and then, yeah, as we said before, if, if they do that, then they're kind of a distance clear, aren't they? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes without a striker. Um, and doesn't play Jesus um, purely because the guys that are play that will play at centre half for Liverpool um, are either untried or playing out of position, and I think those sort of players would rather someone to mark and know who they know who they're picking up and feel feel a striker up against them. Um, and I just I wonder whether City are going to have a rotating front four with. I don't know either Sterling or uh, or Foden through the middle. Just make um, it just as hard indeed. as possible yeah. to, to kind of keep tabs on And then on that comes is. like you just you just rotate the ball more, and then the opposition are just running about um, trying to win it back. Yeah, uh, and that's when they take games away from teams. Yeah. Well, Neil, you uh, you referenced it there. We've got charity back coming up later on. Uh, what have you gone for for this one? You asked me before the Brighton game. I've gone for Liverpool one City nil. I feel as though it might be not dissimilar to the 16-17 game at Anfield on New Year's Eve, where both there's a thing that happens, I think, here, where it's a little bit first goal, in that both sides, whoever scores first, there'll not really be a moment where there's heavy artillery, because both sides will be really conscious of the other on the counter. So, ultimately, what I'm sort of saying here is, I think Liverpool will score first, City will be reluctant to throw the kitchen sink until very late, and Liverpool will just about hold on. Um, and it'll be really backs against the wall. So that's sort of how I said it before, Brighton. I don't feel quite as confident of that now, but, you know, you've got and found those odds, David, and I'm not going to create work for you. So I'll stick with <laughs> Liverpool 1 and uh, Manchester City 0. Lovely stuff. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with the rest of the charity bet a bit later on. But for now, Neil, thank you very much. Thank you indeed. Now, City fans are used to breaking records these days, but back in 2012, they and their FA Cup opponents this week, Swansea, briefly held a rather niche honour. In the October of Roberto Mancini's final season at the Etihad, the two teams played out the longest ever Premier League match. Here's what happened. Oh, for the, longest time. 
the afternoon was largely forgettable. City, fresh off the back of a 3-1 defeat at Ajax, hosted Swansea, and they were looking for a fourth Premier League win in a row. It came with a Carlos Tevez stunner just after the hour mark. Yeah, he played well, but Carlos played uh, also well against West Bromwich. Uh, he worked out for the team and maybe he deserved to score. And instead, he scored today is an important, is an important goal. That was Roberto Mancini in his post-match press conference. Tevez's goal was where the delays started. In trying to keep it out, the Swansea goalkeeper Michel Vorm was injured and down for around five minutes. The Swansea manager at the time, Michael Laudrup, spoke to the BBC after the match. Well, he's growing, so um, yeah, we'll miss him for uh, some weeks. Um, if it's five or four, five or six, we don't know yet, let's see, um, but it will some weeks. Then as City were holding on towards the end of the match, Michael Richards went down in his own box. It was alarming for fans because there was nobody near him at the time. Mike, I think that there's a problem in his knee, but uh, I don't know this situation. Did look bad? Yeah, yeah, probably. probably. I, hope, I hope not, but uh, uh, I don't know. Had he, had he had a problem just before? No, 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 no. He was, he, was, he was tired because it's the third game in 10 days. Richards was down for a considerable amount of time. He was given oxygen and had to leave the field on a stretcher. It was a serious knee injury that would go on to disrupt his City future. Recently, he spoke to Joe Hart's podcast, Gloved, about that time in his career. I got it repaired, which normally, for an average weight, average height person, should take two, three, four months. But because of my weight, and how athletic I was as well. It took about seven or eight months. So that was, was dark for me because I'd lost my place to Zabaleta because he'd be, been unbelievable. And, I, and I'd been injured for eight months. And I knew deep down, unless Zabaleta got injured, I wasn't getting my place back. It was the beginning of the end for Richards at City. As Mancini was sacked, and as Pablo Zabaleta's form improved further under Manuel Pellegrini, there was just no way back into the team. That season when I got injured, I think he got nominated for Player of the Year. Everything he touched turned to gold. I'm not one of these people who, oh, I, I wish he played rubbish on the weekend. I'm just like, alright, if he's going to play well, then I'm going to raise the bar. But when he got in and stayed in the way he was playing, I knew, I knew, I knew then I wouldn't get him back in. And then I knew while being injured, like, what, what can I do to get back in? You know, you go through, like, stages in your mind, like, do I leave? No, I don't want to leave because it's a club I love. Do I go on loan? But what if I go on loan and it don't, it don't work out? I'm going to be seen as overrated. You know, there's so many things going through your mind. You don't know, you don't know what to do. So because of the injuries, there were 12 added minutes. It made the end of the game quite unnerving for fans who were watching their side hang on for a 1-0 victory with no idea how much time was left. The total of 102 minutes was the longest any Premier League match had ever lasted. It was a record City only held for three months though. That was until Arsenal's 5-1 win over West Ham in January 2013 ran to just two seconds shy of 103 minutes. The time in the world. Hello, this is Jason Manford and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. 
There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So I'll look there at uh, the City Swansea game from 2012. Uh, time now to look ahead at the FA Cup game coming this week. Uh, we're joined now by Guto Llewellyn from the Jackcast. Hi Guto, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Uh, how are things for, for Swansea this season? Going great so far. I mean, it's a model of consistency, I would say, in terms of results, if if not performances. Um, we are definitely exceeding expectations. We're, we're sitting third in the table as, as we record this, um, very much in the hunt for um, automatic promotion to, to the Premier League and at the very least looking very secure uh, in, in our top six position. Um, and so, so far, I think it's it's gone much better than any of us really expected at the start of the season. Yeah, this this is the thing, isn't it, Adam? We, uh, we, we always hear about how City get the easy FA Cup draw, and here we are with a, a team doing really well in the Championship. And when they do draw lower league teams in recent years, it's been teams flying high in the Championship. Yeah, I think there was a stat recently released about how it wasn't actually us that got all the easy draws, so I was happy with that one when that myth was dispelled. Uh, I've, I've admired the way Swansea play for the last 10, 15 years uh, when they came up through the ranks of the league, Football League and then into the Premier League. Um so yeah, it's going to be a tough game. They gave us a hard run the last time we met in the FA Cup. So there's no there's no such thing as a and it's cliche again. There's no such thing as an easy tie when they've got here uh, when we're at these rounds of the, the latter stages of competitions. And they're a great football inside. They always have been as long as I've been aware of them as a, as a football club. So uh, and again, I hark back to that shot uh, that scare they gave us the last time we met in the FA Cup at, at their place. Yeah, I mean, good. So the, the thing is though, like all. all... All things being equal, that game probably should have been a Swansea win, shouldn't it? I mean, I think City's winning goal was offside. I think the penalty was a bit dubious. So, mm. I, I, does that game still smart? And is that is that kind of like the the chance to put that right this time around? Yeah, there's no doubt we're, we're still we're still going on about that game to this day because <laughs> our FA Cup record, on the whole, is pretty pretty mediocre. For being honest, we've reached the semi-finals twice, but the last time was in 1964, um, and um, you know we've only reached the quarterfinals twice um in the last 50 years and that and that was and one and well one of them was back in our final premier league season and the other one was when we played against city and i, I remember going into that match we were actually having a, a really positive season under graham potter even though we weren't that high in the league but i don't think anybody was was very confident i mean city were you were really at the top of your game at that stage you know um absolutely no doubt that you were the best team in the Premier League etc and um, nobody really held out much hope and then suddenly we we got into a two-goal lead the second goal you know one of the most beautiful goals we've scored in in years really Um, an absolutely stunning move and you know we let's face it on the balance of play I think City were, were clearly the the superior side on that day but we were somehow keeping the ball out the net a, a miraculous goalkeeping performance, um, some really last-ditch defending, but still those those two controversial refereeing decisions, uh, which gave City the, the last two goals, still really wrangle with fans. And I'd be lying if there wasn't an element of revenge on people's minds going <laughs> ahead to the FA Cup match, even though obviously when you get when you play, I think one of the things that really grinders about that match is that when you are a lower league team coming up against the you know the presumptive league the premier league champions 
in the quarterfinal of an FA Cup, you don't get many chances to win those kind of games. And it would have been just one of those legendary victories had we managed it. And um, obviously it was, it was taken away from us. So it, it still, it's still smart, I'll, I'll yeah. be honest. <laughs> uh, who are the players that, if, if, if you are to put that right and cause an upset uh, this midweek, who are the players that are likely to be, to be the ones that do the damage? It's all about the defence uh, for us this season. We've got the best defence in the um, uh, in, in the championship uh, and across all four divisions. If you look at kind of goals conceded per game, um, we've only conceded 15 goals so far in what 26 games this season, um, which is an astonishing record, really. And and that's what our success is built on. Really, we're very very difficult to score against. We don't get that many goals, but we only usually need one goal to win a game um so it's you know it, it that that's what it's going to be built on obviously the the defense will never have been seen a test quite like man city um so it's it's going to be a great opportunity for what is a very young defense on the whole um to test themselves against what looks like the best team in the premier league at the moment um but we've got a, a young centre-back on loan from Chelsea called Mark Gay, who is, in my opinion, hands down the best centre-back in, in the division. Uh, I think he's destined for, for great things, a, a fantastic all-round player. Um, but pr- probably our most important player, I would say, is Connor Roberts, um, right back who who won the penalty, actually, against City in that um, famous cup tie two years ago. Um, he is playing as a right wing-back. He's just like a dearest old bunny. He does not stop and he is, you know, pitching in defensively, but he's also um, been our most creative player this season. He's set up more chances than anyone anyone else. And he's just, he's just a great all-round player. And he's a, he's a homegrown kid, come through the academy, massive Swansea fan. And he's just the kind of player that everybody loves, really. Um, but it's more than just a personality issue. The way he plays is all action. Um, and and if, if what we found this season is that when you stop our wing backs from from getting forward you you really do nullify most of our threat a, a staggering amount of our goals come down come down those wings from the um, from the wing back so if you can pin them back and and stop them from getting forward then then you know we'll find it very difficult to score have you noticed a massive improvement in Gihi this this year i've seen him play for the under 21s quite a lot and he's he's their best defender i was surprised mm. that he was kind of in and out of the side last year wasn't he well, when he first arrived, I think he was dropped into the deep end, really. Um, and he had a few really chronic displays in his in his opening matches. And then, um, you know, a lot of a lot of fans wrote him off straight away, which was obviously totally unfair. But um, he was out to the side then and um, only kind of an injury crisis really at the back uh, enabled him to come back into the side after after the lockdown. Um, and that coincided with us switching to five at the back. Um, and and those two things, Gay's form just just suddenly exploding and, and becoming fantastic overnight, um, combined with the fact that we went five at the back, um, has just helped us not only defensively, I should say, but but in attack as well, because of the added width that the formation gives us. Um, it's just given us an extra dimension and and seems to suit this the squad as a whole much better than when we were trying to play um four three three or um four five one then. Yeah, Jack. Uh, I just want to to ask you a bit in, about uh, City's potential lineup for this one because uh, when you look at, at the games that it's sandwiched between, obviously Liverpool away, we've talked about uh, it. Spurs at home after that, with Arsenal away on the horizon. Uh, we heard Sean talking earlier on in the show about that about being gutted that Liam Delap wasn't more involved against Cheltenham. Given what we were saying about Gabriel Jesus seeming to find a little bit of form, can can this be one where where Guardiola goes for someone like Delap instead of Jesus to play him into form? Uh... Probably no, probably not. I 
um, I, I don't think he'll play Delap. I think Delap um, was hamstrung by his red his red card against Derby in the twenty threes. Um, he might have had half a chance of being involved against Cheltenham if that hadn't have happened. Um, there'll be there'll be loads of changes, won't there? Loads of but. They can make loads of changes, but also take the competition seriously. That's the beauty of the squad that they've got. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably probably guess at a similar team that played against Cheltenham. Uh, obviously, minus Howard Bellis, um, maybe minus Doyle, and a little slightly stronger than Cheltenham. Um, but you see Garcia, you see Mendy, um, see Fernandinho, Stefan will be in goal. Um, yeah, I just. It, it's difficult to call and in terms of how how they'll play because they they weren't great against Cheltenham, but then those players hadn't really played together, had they? Yeah. Um, and I guess they've got the the guys that come in have got to view it as I've got to do my individual job properly, and then that'll give me the chance of playing in the week after. Yeah, uh, good. So do you uh, obviously I mentioned City's fixtures coming there. You've got Norwich on Friday night, uh, mm. which is a their current Championship leaders. That'll be a, that's going to be a huge game. Oh, absolutely massive. Um, I mean, the way Brentford are playing at the moment as well, they're on a 19-game unbeaten run. The pressure at the top is just is just incredible, really. Um, and, and you're finding yourselves in a situation... It's very unlike the Premier League, actually, where the top teams are dropping quite a lot of points, and that's enabled City to kind of build up a, a quite clear gap now with without anybody really noticing. I mean, in the Championship, it's, it's the total difference, really. There's so few points being being dropped. And we've seen with teams like Bournemouth and, and Watford to a lesser extent how just a couple of bad results can, can suddenly leave you out of contention for, for, for automatic promotion. Um, and we're in a situation going into the Norwich match where if we can win, then suddenly we dra- drag Norwich down we're right in the hunt if if we lose then suddenly there's a bit of a gap there and we're really trying to play catch up um to get into the top two so you know it just these there's a long way to go obviously in the season but these individual matches have just so much riding on them um and it's probably the biggest game of those season so far um and that is obviously going to take priority over the the city cup tie which sounds strange but um you know we've 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 put ourselves in a in a position where we have a very realistic chance of promotion to the premier league and that's that's definitely the priority this season yeah. Uh, well, let's get some predictions on the board. Chris Higginbottom correctly predicted the 2-0 win at Burnley on Wednesday, which takes our total for the charity bet up to £500. The winnings are going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, and we've got a £10 correct score single each with William Hill. Uh, let's start with City's trip to Anfield. Uh, we heard earlier on Neil uh, predicted a 1-0 Liverpool win, which is 11-1 to and £110 if he's right. Uh, Jack, what are you having for this one? Yeah, I'd, similarly to Neil, I would like to stress that I sent you this prior to the Brighton game. Um, one all. Uh, that's five to one and uh, £50. Adam, you also sent me this prior to the Brighton game. What, for, what have yeah, you gone for? I still stand uh, nil-nil. Nil-nil is uh, 12 to one and £120 if you're right. Uh, and that brings us on to the uh, Swansea game. Uh, guests first. So, Guto, what are you having for this one? Uh, I, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Man City win. I just think you you tend to take the uh, cup competitions very seriously. And um, as well as we've been playing this season, we haven't come up against a team of, of Man City's quality. So I think it, it may be a bit too much for a, for a team that's not used to playing against a uh, side that good, really. 
Well, uh, a 2-0 Swansea win meant I had to get my calculator out because that's 24 to 5, and I had no <laughs> idea what that was, and apparently it's 48 quid if you're right on that one. Oh. Um, so, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, Jack, what are you having for this? 3-0 uh, City. Uh, that's 6 to 1 and £60. Adam? I'm going for 3-1 to City. I think a changed defence might just leak a, a goal like we did against Cheltenham. Uh, that's 9 to 1 and £90 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. You can find out more information about responsible gambling by looking at begambleaware.org. Uh, Guto, thank you very much for, for joining us uh, today. Thank you very much for having me, and best of luck for the rest of the season for you guys. Time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week. Uh, you can tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast and you can email us as well through the website. There's an email form on there. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Rich Fenton is first up on the emails. Uh, he asks, could Cancelo be the heir of Fernandinho if or when he leaves next season? Um, Jack, we touched on this before about Cancelo kind of coming in and, and playing more alongside Rodri and more as an attacking midfielder. Could he do the Fernandinho role? Uh yeah, in a, in, in a similar way that De Bruyne could, Gundogan could, Foden could. They're all really good players who can play in loads of different positions. Um, would you want him there? Don't, probably not. Um, it's, he, it's, it's, his best position is at, is at right-back, isn't it? And then being able to kind of roam and maraud from there. Um, I wouldn't see much point in kind of retraining him as a, as a sitter. Uh, even though he's got a, an amazing range of passing and, and clearly his vision is second second to none. I mean, uh, the the funny thing about Cancelo is uh, uh, West Brom last week we'd like laughing. It's like where the hell is this fella playing? <laughs> it's like old fashioned kind of half back, and then he was an eight, and then he was a false nine. Uh, it was just like. Uh, I've never said anything like it, really. Even in the like, even in the uh, the second season when there was like such fluidity to the um, to where people were playing, I just, I've not seen anything quite as extravagant as what Cancelo's been doing recently. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Adam. You 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 mentioned the double pivot earlier in the show and how much you hated it. Um, if Gundogan is playing further forward and Laporte is at left back coming across to make a back three when City have got the ball, what's stopping Cancelo drifting into the middle and playing alongside Rodri? And then he becomes Rodri's legs. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a perfect cocktail if that was the case. Um, I don't see him being the heir to Fernandino in terms of how... Com- com- I've not seen how combative he is. He's not needed to be, to be fair. I've not really been under the cosh with Cancelo in the side. Uh, but if I like the sound of what you just proposed there. If he does almost the run-in for Rodri when we're not in possession... Uh, and then, because uh, you'd, you'd imagine he'd be getting back uh, to to defend that attack. So I, I love the thought of how fluid he could be around Rodri if we if we were returning to a double pivot. But instead of it being Gundogan, it being Cancelo, I'm up for that. Yeah. Um, here's here's a question, Jack. Uh, Rob Dome on Twitter asks: Would a change to the Champions League knockout format hinder City? Uh, kind of, it's been proposed again this uh, that the knockout format might uh, become single leg ties. Um, what do you make of it? Well, it didn't work out too well for them in August, did it? <laughs> I think that's where um, it's coming from. I mean, that said, uh, how many times has City gone out on away goals? Yeah, also, that said, in the two weeks before that Lyon game, everybody was saying, ah, oh, this is going to suit City. The best teams will win over, you know. that They've really struggled over two legs. They'll, they'll do it in one and all this. Sort of, and then that happens. It's like, 
to be honest, I don't think it really matters whether it's one leg, two leg, eight legs, whatever. The best team over over the course of the tie will win, um, and that's that's the way it's been over the last few years. It's does it really does it really matter whether it's yeah. one or two legs? I don't know. Maybe I'm... does it does it worry you, Adam? If it was if it's... it was one leg, so. Last time I was, I'm, I'm always convinced that Pep overthinks a two-legged tie. We found that when how he set up away to Tottenham uh, at their new stadium. Um, I was a big fan of this almost carnival of football, festival of football, um, almost like a World Cup of Champions League semi-final. So I, I want that to continue, even though we fell foul of it last time and we didn't have a second leg to uh, come back from uh, or to you know to repair the damage of a first leg. But I'm even though we fell foul to it, I, I'd love a, a format rule uh, change like that. That. I reckon one city should just host the semis and the final and get uh, a real atmosphere going like that. So, but I don't think I think what Jack says there, the best team, whether it's two legs, three legs, four legs, overall, you you know what the job is. If it's if you've only got one leg, you do the job. Then if you've got two legs, you can apply a bit of a different approach. So, uh, I don't think it'd hinder us. I think we just need to be on our game if it's one leg or two. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Uh, final question for this week comes from Simon Davidson on the emails. Uh, he says, Roberto Mancini has announced that he's stepping down as Italy boss after the next World Cup. What do you think it would take to get him back at the Etihad and brought out onto the pitch before a match when there are fans back in the stadium? With the timing of his sacking, we never got the opportunity to say a thank you for what he did for the club. Um, Adam, would you lo- you'd love to see it, wouldn't you, I assume? Yeah, so I've got a great affinity to Mancini. He obviously delivered the first trophies in my lifetime. Um, we he got a full page spread in the uh, MEM. What more does he want? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think he. I'm not privy to the behind the scenes stuff, but I don't think he ended too amicably with, with the board. So I don't know how extended that uh, offer of a return would be. The fans would love it. He'd lap it up, but I don't even. I don't think he he'd even uh, cross that line again. Yeah. Has Has there been enough time? Do you think, Jack? Does it need more time? Is that it? Yes, yeah, probably enough time has probably passed. Um, I mean, Mancini. Uh, Mancini's one of those characters where he's going to fall out with people, and he has done wherever he's been. Um, but before that, he will give, he will bring you, he will bring you success, and and players love playing for him uh, at least initially. Um, City are very good at that sort of thing, actually. Um, Organising um, events like that, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they will do something in there. In the future, you'd be yeah. You're probably expecting to be at a game at some point. Whether he'd be parading on the pitch is a, is another thing altogether. But yeah, I just I just think it's sad that they, that he's that City have never played him as uh, as the opposition manager. Do you know what I mean, Adam? Yeah, that would probably be the best case scenario in, in terms of us being able to offer our appreciation for what he did uh, and, a, and a gesture. Knowing our luck, he'd probably come back and beat us. But, oh, he uh... definitely would. Definitely <laughs> would. Yeah. Right. Love, well, that brings this week's podcast to a close. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to my guests, statcities.co.uk's Adam Carter. Thank you. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gaunt. Thanks, mate. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, then please give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it. If you'd like ad-free podcasts, then they're now available for Patreon backers on all three of our tiers. You'll get that and a weekly bonus show, which this week is about the common players between City and Swansea and some of the recent games between the two sides as well. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Podcast for more information. So whatever happens at Anfield this weekend, don't fret. City will still be ahead of Liverpool at full time and most probably still top of the table with that game in hand as well. 
well. I don't know if I'm saying that for your benefit or mine, though. So uh, I'll be back next week, either way, to review what happens. I'll see you on the other side. Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.